with me in your Bibles. We're going to be looking at uh, some different places, but uh, just to kind of kick it off tonight, I want us to look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to some of the religious leaders uh, here towards the end of it. Uh, We'll be looking at, uh, let's begin in uh, verse 54. And Jesus replied, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Uh, Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. Jesus is saying this to the religious leaders and they're looking at him and going, you know, 30, 31 um, how can you say, uh, they say to him, you're not even 50 years old, and yet you've seen Abraham? And uh, then Jesus um, says in verse 58, I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. And uh, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away uh, from the temple grounds. Um, tonight, what I want us to see, especially as, as we've been, uh, we're kind of doing a, a, a brief study. We're not going to stay in it too long, but I did want us to see some ways in which uh, Christ is seen in the Old Testament. And as we look at this passage where Jesus says to the religious leaders uh, that Abraham, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. What in the world could Jesus have meant? Um, And so tonight we're going to uh, hopefully uh, see some of what he meant by that, by uh, kind of looking at the life of Abraham and just seeing how it truly does point us forward to, uh, point forward to Jesus. So tonight we're going to uh, kind of do a study. I believe it began in 54. Okay. Oh. Okay. Um, so to begin with the life of Abram, we uh, kind of find him uh, the first place in Genesis chapter 11, talking about uh, him being the, the son of Terah, and, uh, and then we really pick it up in chapter 12 in Genesis chapter 12 where the Lord first comes to Abraham or Abram at this point and um, it's what we read in, in chapter 12 beginning of verse 1 the Lord said to Abram leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you and I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Um, This is God's promise to Abram. 
and um, it's an interesting promise. We see some uh, different aspects of the promise. We see in uh, verse 2 there, he says, first of all, I will bless you, and you will be a blessing. These are two promises in, in chapter 3. Again, he says, I will bless those who bless you, and all the peoples uh, of the earth will be blessed through you. There's this promise of blessing. A blessing to Abraham and about uh, Abraham being a blessing uh, to all of the world. Now, a blessing, um, which we might not necessarily understand because if we watch uh, anyone, any preachers on television, think that the blessing is having our best life now, right? Having all the things that uh, the world can provide for us to make us more happy and comfortable in, uh, in this life, but that's not uh, necessarily what biblical blessing is. Uh, Edmund Clowney says a, a blessing is a pronouncing of God's favor. It includes the gifts that God gives as the evidence of his love and favor, but blessing is more than what God gives. It's the bond of favor that joins God's people with him. So a blessing of God is his, his favor, um, not, not only different things that he would give him, but God's promise is going to promise Abraham that he's going to give him land and he's going to give him uh, children. Um, but uh, we're going to see more about God's uh, blessing for Abraham. Um, and we see it especially as Abraham goes, uh, he goes where God directs him to go. In chapter 14, he goes with Lot, and they separate. In chapter 13, Lot goes, of course, to Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in chapter 14, we see that Lot is taken away captive uh, with the uh, king of Sodom. Uh, they're invaded, and they're, they're taken away, so Abraham has to go get them back. And he takes his men and defeats those foreign kings in a battle. And, they, uh, and coming back, the king of Sodom comes to Abram and says, uh, give me the people and keep the goods for yourself. And uh, chapter 14, verse 22, Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have, uh, I have raised my hand to the Lord, uh, God most high, creator of heaven and earth, and have taken an oath that I will accept nothing belonging to you or even a thread of a thong of a, thong of a sandal, um, so that you will never be able to say, I made Abraham rich or Abram rich. I will accept nothing but what my men have eaten and the share that belongs to the men who went with me. And uh, so at this point, the Lord comes to him in chapter 15. And uh, he says to Abraham, Abram, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your very great reward. That's God blessing him. I'm what you get. Uh, can you think of any greater blessing? I mean, this is the great covenant promise throughout Scripture. I will be your God, and you will be my people. What you get is me. That's the best thing that I can promise to you. Um, when you get married, um, I'm, I'm sure you've all heard of the, the uh, advertisement the man put in the paper looking for a woman who liked to fish and had a boat and motor could clean fish and could cook them real good and everything and the bottom of it says uh, all responses please please send a picture of your boat and motor right 
what woman's going to really respond to that? I mean, it's like when we when we're exchanging vows there, and uh, the husband says, "Well, I, I want." And his vow is, well, "You'll be there to cook for me and to clean for me, and to." Uh, take care of all the household items, pay all the bills, and do all this while I go away and do whatever I want. Now that's the kind of vows that a woman wants from a man, right? Um, if we were to say, I want you for what you can provide for me, that doesn't sound too good, right? Uh, unfortunately, that's the way we think of love in our society in America today. You, you know, as long as you do for me, I'll be able to say I love you, but as long as is uh, those things stop uh, doing it for me, then I'm going to have to say I don't love you anymore and I'll go somewhere else. Uh, really the best thing that we can give to someone is ourselves. And when we exchange our vows in marriage, that's what we're doing. We're saying I have nothing more that I can give to you than myself. And so I'm giving you the, you know, the, the, the most possession that I have. Well, God says to us, I give you myself. That's what he's saying to Abraham. I am your very great reward. I'm saying to him, you're getting, you're getting the very best that, uh, that could ever be. This is the greatest blessing that God can give to anyone. And so he, he, uh, he tells Abraham this. And Abraham is kind of confused about it because he knows he's been promised land. He knows he's been promised uh, multitudes of, uh, of children. By the way, the name Abram, uh, who knows what it means? It's an exalted father. Oh. Abram means exalted father. And so he's got this name, exalted father. He doesn't have any children yet. And so he's, he's kind of questioning this. Um, Abram says in, in verse 2 there, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said... Abram have said, you have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up to the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can count them, then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And uh, that, that kind of did it for Abram right there, right? He says, so Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. So this is, a, this is a passage that Paul will quote in the, in the uh, uh, New Testament, talking about Abram is a great man of faith. He believed the promises of God, and God credited it to him as righteousness. His faith that brings uh, the, the righteousness that is God, believing in God's promises. And so um, at this point, uh, Abram believes regarding the children and stuff, um, but he goes on in verse 8, uh, Genesis 15, verse 8. Oh, sovereign Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of the land that he's promising is, is, is what he's asking. And then you know the, the story where God uh, has him bring the animals. He cuts them and there's, he makes a covenant with Abraham that day. Right? And Abram's got the covenants. God himself appears between the pieces of the animal and passes down the truth between it. Uh, verifying, the, making a covenant, saying, my promises to you are based on this covenant. It's a sign. It's a seal. Uh, 
this is a seal that we have that I will fulfill um, my covenant to you. And so um, <clears throat> there's, there's actually no greater uh, blessing possible that God could give to Abraham than giving him uh, himself as his inheritance and his portion. And this would continue on with Abraham's seed. Um, God renews this uh, promise to him uh, again. And so Abraham's believing. Now, in chapter 16, there's a little bit of hiccup with Abraham, right? Abraham uh, is getting on in years. He knows God has promised him. He's believed it. But this is, this is years after the promise even. And the promise has been renewed. And there's still no children. So Sarah has this brilliant idea that she's got a handmaiden. And if she gives a handmaiden to Abraham and he gets her pregnant, she can have the child on her uh, uh, lap. And then it would be her child and it would be Abraham's child. And this could be the one. This is maybe the way God wants to do it. So we're helping out God along the way, right? So we know what happens. Uh, she, gives, uh, she gives Hagar to uh, Abram and Hagar gets pregnant. Um, and winds up having a son, Ishmael. And uh, so that's, that's not the one, though, right? It's not the, prom it's not the one that was promised to Abram. So uh, we, get, we see at the end of this that when Hagar is born, Abram's uh, 86 years old. Okay? Now, the very next verse in chapter 17 Abram's 99 years old. How many years is that? 86. All right, he's 99. He was 86 when Ishmael was born. How many years? Between the end of chapter 16 and the beginning of chapter 17? 13. 13 years. Very good. Yeah, so that, that seems to be a long time to us, right? I think most of us think 13 years is a pretty long time. And Ishmael here is 13 years old. So... Um, so then the Lord appears to Abram again in chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am the Lord, uh, I, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. I will confirm my covenant between me and you, and you will greatly increase in your numbers. And Abram fell face down, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will no longer uh, be... Uh, Excuse me. Uh, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will your name be Abram, exalted father. Your name will be Abraham, father of many. Right? And so this is where his name changes to Abraham. And I'm glad, so I'll stop calling Abram Abraham and start calling Abraham Abraham at this point. Right? Um, you'll be the father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. And I will make nations to you, and kings will come from you. And I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien. I will give everlasting possession. Um, so he's, he's renewing the promises he's given to him in this covenant. And uh, then... Um, then verse 9, the sign of the covenant and the covenant are basically called the same thing. 
we see it happening with baptism in the New Testament as well. Sometimes uh, what ba baptism signifies and what it uh, and, uh, and the the thing signified and the thing that signifies it are called the same thing in places in the in the New Testament, just as it is here. Verse nine. Um, Uh, verse 9, then God said to Abram, Abraham, uh, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you knew the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Um, <clears throat> you are to undergo circumcision and it will be a sign of the covenant between me and you. So God's promise. He's made promises to Abraham. How's... How's Abraham going to, what, what is needed there for Abraham to be able to see, to remind him that God is giving him these promises and that God will fulfill his promises to him? It's circumcision. This has to do with um, his offspring, right? And so um, how appropriate there that, then the, that circumcision would be uh, the sign. And every time uh, Abraham will, will see himself and know that he's circumcised, he would say, God has promised. God has promised. And that's what a sign of the covenant is always about. Remember the sign of the covenant with Noah? What was the sign? Rainbow. And what are we supposed to remember when we see the rainbow in the sky? Never destroy the whole earth again by flood. Right? It's, a, it's a sign of God's promise. Circumcision. It's a sign of God's promise. Um, what is God's promise? Um, it's, it's God's promises to um, bless Abraham. Um, he's going to have many descendants, and he's going to have the land. And that all of his uh, descendants, uh, if, as long as they put their faith in God like Abraham did, they can look at that and say, God has promised. If I have faith, that's what will happen. It's important for us for baptism as well, I believe, because baptism is a sign of God's promise. What's God's promise? If we put faith in him, then we're eternally saved. We put faith in the, in the, in the uh, provision that he's given us in Christ Jesus as long as that's what we're trusting for our salvation. Not trusting in our own works, but as long as we're trusting in God's works and his promises that if we believe in Christ, we will be saved. Um, that's what this sign is all about. It's about God's promise. We can always look back to our baptism and say, God has promised. God has promised, okay? So uh, anyway, and, and God will always fulfill his promise. Well, God gives Abraham this sign. And then in verse, um, let's see. He goes on, um, Verse 15, and God also said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, Sarai, your wife, uh, you are no longer to call her Sarai. She shall be called Sarah, and I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her, and I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. And Abraham fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a, a son be born to a man a hundred years old and Sarah bear a child? Uh, at the age of 90, and Abram said to God, If only Ishmael might be under your blessing. 
And God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will uh, bear you a son, and you will call him Isaac, and I'll establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant uh, for his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I've heard, I've heard you, and I will bless him and will make him fruitful and will greatly increase his numbers. Uh, he will be the father of 12 rulers, and I will make him into a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you by this time next year. And, uh, and so God is again promised Abraham here. He's promised him that this seed that he's promised way back, when Abram was 75, it's like 25 years later now, Abram's tried to do it through uh, Hagar and had Ishmael, but that's not going to work. That's not the way God had planned it. And so, um, so God comes again and gives him the sign of his promise. I'm going to be faithful to it. And this is my sign to you. It's my seal. My promise to you is faithful and true. God says, well, let's work through Hagar. And he says, no, that's not the one. It's going to come through Sarah. And uh, so Abraham's thinking to himself, yeah, right. Well, chapter 18, the Lord appears to Abraham uh, near the great trees of Mamre uh, while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried off from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bow to the ground. He invites them to uh, stay with him and to have some water and have a meal with him. He gets the meal prepared and so on and so forth. And uh, so down in verse 9, uh, they're having this conversation and they ask, where's your wife, Sarah? <laughs> I wonder if he thought, they didn't spy on me. <laughs> but anyway, they know his wife's name, Sarah. And he said, uh, where's your wife, Sarah? They ask him, and he says, well, she's there in the tent. And then the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, here's Sarah. She's not eavesdropping, right? <laughs> well, maybe a little bit. So she's, she's there at the uh, entrance of the tent, and she's kind of listening to their conversations, what's going on. And she hears this, um, the second part of verse 10. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance of the tent, which was behind him, and uh, Abram and Sarah were already old and advanced in years, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I'm worn out and my master is old, and uh, will I now have this pleasure? It's interesting that at this point, um, uh, she's uh, thinking to herself this, but these guys that are there, they these three visitors, they seem to be able to hear her thoughts, right? Um, then, in verse 13, one of these visitors responds. It says, then the Lord, Yahweh, there he is, all capitals, right? Then Yahweh said to Abram, why did Sarah laugh and say, uh, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember this. This is important. So here's someone that's impossible at this point for her to have a child. And the angel says, is anything too impossible with God? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? I will return to you at an appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid. And so she lied and said, I, I didn't laugh. But he said to her, yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. You may not have thought I heard it, but 
but I did. So anyway, we go on. There's a story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and it's destroyed and everything. Then uh, Abraham and Abimelech in chapter 20. Finally, chapter 21, um, God has been promising Abraham this great uh, multitude, father of many nations, coming from Sarah. And now chapter 21, now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, uh, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. And Sarah became pregnant and bore a son uh, to Abraham in, his old, Abraham in his old age at the very time that God had promised him. And Abraham gave him the name Isaac uh, to the son that Sarah bore him. And he was circumcised at eight days old. Um, here's Abraham seeing God doing these incredible promises. And at some point doubting, but God continuing to reaffirm his promise to him and, and even giving him a sign in the seal, that seal saying, all the promises, they come from me. And you've got that sign and seal right now. You know that I'm going to fulfill it. And um, so uh, it finally comes. And this is the one's promised. And so obviously Abraham's going to dote on this child and love this child very much. So we come to chapter 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and he said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. And God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. This seems to be contradictory, right? God has said to Abraham, these many nations that come through you are going to come through Sarah and through Isaac, this child of promise. Now, I want you to take him and offer him as a burnt offering. A burnt offering is completely consumed. It is gone. I, well... I don't think God speaks to us quite like this anymore, but I would have to say, are, are you sure, Lord? I mean, um, I don't, if, if he's destroyed, you can't fulfill your promises to me. But Abraham seems to have a different idea here. He's seen God work in ways that he could not believe, and he's seen God do things that are beyond man's comprehension. Sarah, at 90 years old, gives birth. He's 100. Give him the name Laughter. Reminding. So anyway, God says to him, take him and sacrifice him. What does Abraham do at this point? He's, he seems to really be completely in tune with what God says and trusting that God knows what he's doing even better than Abraham does. And so uh, early the next morning, Abraham got up, saddled his donkey, took him with, his two, with two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when they had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him. On the third day, Abram looked up and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Does he seem to have faith right there? We, we will come back to you. Um, the author of Hebrews, remember when he talks about this? Abraham believed the entrusted that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive uh, Isaac back from the dead. Well, anyway, they go on, and, and you know the story here. Um, Isaac, verse 7, spoke to his father and said, uh, to his father, Abram, Father, yes, my son, Abram replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abram answered, 
God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together when they reached the place that God had told him. Abraham built the altar and arranged the wood on it and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar the top, on the top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. He replied, do not laugh. Hand on the boy, he said, do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. And Abram looked up and there was a, uh, there in a thicket was, he saw a ram caught by its horn. And he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abram called the place, uh, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Okay. So here's Abraham. He's received this promise that he will be blessed by God. All the nations of the world will be blessed through him. And he knows that this is coming through the son of promise that he's been given. Not Ishmael, but Isaac, the son of miraculous birth. The son who, when it was foretold that he would come. And, and Sarah, at 90 years old, she hears it and she laughs. And so the name Isaac means laughter. And so he says, you're going to give him the name laughter. A laughter at first of doubt, but it becomes a laughter of joy in, in seeing God's provisions and in, in giving of the son. Well, Abraham's told to take him and sacrifice him as a burnt offering, as a, in a sense as, as a sin offering that would be consumed. The problem was that the, the blood of Isaac couldn't atone for sins. It couldn't atone for Abraham's sins, and Abraham's blood certainly couldn't atone for Isaac's sins. God provided, provided a temporary stay right then with the ram caught in the, in the thicket. But we look forward into the New Testament. The angel comes to a woman who is not married and who is a virgin. And he says to her, you're going to have a son. And she doesn't laugh, but she's very confused about it. She says, that's impossible. It can't happen. I, I haven't passed the age, but I've just never been with a man. That's the only way you can have a child. And he says, what's impossible for man is not impossible for God, right? What did he tell Sarah? There's nothing impossible with God. What's he tell Mary? Nothing is impossible with God. Same sort of wording here, right? And so the son comes, the son who is um, born of a woman, reality and we see that he is the son of God right God's son whom he whom he truly loves the uh, on the altar where Abraham went to sacrifice his own son that sacrifice would not have done anything to actually bring the blessing to all the world it would have uh, the death of that son it seems would have um, negated God's promise to stopped him and says he's going to provide and Abraham begins looking for the provision that's to come the provision that would come by another miraculous birth another birth in which the mother is told all things are possible with God An another birth in which one would go to the altar and by the way we understand it's the same place where Jesus was crucified Except this time, the father wouldn't be a human father, but it would be a heavenly father 
who would be the one who would sacrifice his son and be the one who would bring about his death. And it would be a death which would actually pay for sins. Abraham's insight into what God was doing, Abraham says, it's okay, God will provide. He knew that God would provide. And I think he knew that it wasn't in Isaac, but he knew that God's provision was yet to come. And I think that Abraham probably knew that the, the ultimate provision wasn't that ram, but he looked forward to God's promise sometime far into the future. And Jesus said, Jesus, Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and rejoiced to see it. I think he rejoiced to know that uh, it was through the provision that would come far down the line um, in, in Jesus when God the Father would take his own son and would not hold back the punishment uh, on him, would not hold back his wrath, but would pour it out fully. <clears throat> Let me just close with this, again, from Edmund Clowney. Um, says that Calvary demonstrates the love of the Father for us. How? Uh, Paul would point us back to the scene on Mount Moriah. He would remind us of the son that was called the beloved, the only son of Abraham. Abraham was asked not to spare his beloved son. We feel uh, the, the, the wrench in his uh, heart uh, as Isaac asked, Father, where's the lamb? Yet Abraham walked on with Isaac up the mount, the two of them together. So too Paul would remind us the heavenly father led his beloved up the hill of Golgotha when the son who was always pleasing to the father cried my God my God why have you forsaken me the father paid the price in his silence we cannot understand how this can be we uh, we know that we cannot think of the eternal God in merely human terms yet like Paul John reminds us that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believed in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And uh, God did what Abraham did not have to do. He made his son an offering for sin. We must reverently confess that our salvation, that uh, we must reverently confess that for our salvation, the cost to God was everything. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son is an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Without the typology of Abraham's sacrifice, we could not understand the depth of meaning in the New Testament, teaching about God's loving and giving his beloved. In the darkness of Calvary, the Father too paid the price of love. In this supreme test of Abraham's faith, the structure of the Old Testament typology again appears clearly. Faith is central because the promise is central. You have to understand the connection of faith and promise. Uh, what is there to have faith in if it's not the one who's promised? So anyway, uh, uh, faith, uh, faith is central because the promise is central. Abraham clings to the word of God even though it appears to be contradictory. 
The grace of God is there, thereby revealed. God resolves the contradiction, but in so doing, he points forward to the greater mystery of his coming work of grace. The symbolism of God's dealing with Abraham can find their ultimate resolution and fulfillment only in the coming of Christ. So, uh, once again, the way we see uh, Christ in the Old Testament and the whole life of Abraham and the promises and then, and then the coming son and the, the, the testing of his faith there and seeing that God would provide, God does provide. Okay. Let me pray for us.